Father, we do thank you that we can gather today in the name of Jesus Christ, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, our friend, our Savior, our Master. We thank you, Lord, that you've given us lungs to sing. And Father, more importantly, even a new heart that compels us to use our lungs to sing your glories. We thank you, Father, for your amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved wretches like us. We pray, Father, that your word would have its way in us today, that you would wash us with the water of the word, that you would renew our minds, that you would sanctify us and equip us, make us complete and thoroughly equipped for every good work. We pray that around the globe, Christ's church would gather today, this Lord's Day and every Lord's Day, and that your men, those whom you've called, you've equipped, would step to the pulpit, Lord, full of truth and unleash the fire and hammer of your word that it would form us, that it would craft us, that it would shape us into the servants of Christ that you would have us to be, into the very image of Christ as Christians. Renew our minds, we pray. Grant, Father, that we might walk in the light of your word and the power of your spirit, that we, Father, would make a difference in this land, a difference in this life, that we would leave a mark that would stretch into eternity, that we would not be a mere blip on a calendar, but by your grace, be useful for the advancing of your kingdom and the glory of your name and the redemption of sinners. And that there would be men and women around your throne worshiping you forever because of the labor that we unite together in, the labor of Christ to seek and to save the lost. We pray it, Lord, for our church. We pray it for the church universal. We pray it for the 116 Fellowship. May Christ be lifted up and all men drawn to him. We pray it, Lord, that sin would be held in check. We pray it that evil that is advancing on every front would be held at bay. We pray, Father, the word would go forth with power in the pulpit and in the streets of the United States of America and around this globe for the redemption of sinners and as a salt, a preservative, Lord. To hold sin back. We pray it all for your glory. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen. Please open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 11. Genesis chapter 11. And it's been such a joy to preach through this great book of origins, this great book of foundations these last months. We've seen the origin of the material universe, the sun, the moon, and the stars. We've seen the origin of life, plant, animal, and mankind created in God's image, male and female, for God's glory to rule over and be stewards of all the earth. We have seen the origin of sin and death and the fall of Adam and Eve into sin. We've seen the origin of the gospel and the promise of the seed of the woman crushing the serpent's head. We've seen the origin of all religion in Cain and Abel as Cain brought forth the works of his hands representing all the man-made systems of works righteousness and Abel brought forth a blood sacrifice representing the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, who is to come and provide his righteous blood as an atonement for our sins. We've seen the horrific result of the depravity of man in the first family as Cain the firstborn son, rose up and murdered righteous Abel. We've seen the amazing grace of God on Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth in rescuing them in the ark from his just judgment upon mankind's sin in a global flood. We've seen how the nations of this earth all came originally from Adam and Eve and then through Shem, Ham, and Japheth so that we can all Put the bumper sticker on our cars that reads, quote, My family survived the global flood on Noah's Ark. Today, in Genesis chapter 11, we'll see the origin of the kingdoms of mankind, the origin of languages, 
and the origin of God's chosen people, the nation of Israel. The title of the message, The Origin of Languages, Nations, and Israel in the Earth, from Genesis chapter 11. We've got a lot to cover, and we'll get as far as the Lord allows. Let's read chapter 11, verses 1 down through 9. Now the whole earth had one language and one speech, and it came to pass as they journeyed from the east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar, and they dwelt there. Then they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They had bricks for stone, and they had asphalt for mortar. And they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower whose top is in the heavens. Let us make a name for ourselves lest we be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the sons of men had built. And the Lord said, Indeed, the people are one, and they all have one language, and this is what they begin to do. Now nothing that they propose to do will be withheld from them. Come, let us go down and there confuse their language." that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from there over the face of the earth, and they ceased building the city. Therefore its name is called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth. And from there the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of all the earth. The first two points are one here. In this portion of Genesis chapter 11, the origin of languages and kingdoms or nations of this earth. Back to verse 1. Now the whole earth had one language and one speech. And of course it did. They're all descendants of Adam and Eve. They're all descendants of Shem, Ham, and Japheth. They all spoke the language that God gave mankind. God put wisdom in a man's heart. God gave man language and the intellect to use it. We did not come from caves, grunting and scratching in the earth. Nor did we come from a primordial soup before that. Nor did we come from a simple, single-celled organism. We came from the dirt created by the power of God, made Adam and Eve. Literal man, literal woman, the literal first couple from whom we have all descended. And the whole earth had one language and one speech. And it came to pass, as they journeyed from the east, that they found a plain in the land of Shinar, and they dwelt there. But I press on too quickly like they did. Let me pause once again and say, these are not optional truths. It's not you get to believe the lies of Big Bang cosmology and evolution, that you get to believe in the lies of cavemen grunting and scratching and eventually forming a few sounds that came to represent something and use them repetitiously until it was universally recognized that that was the sound for that object and on and on it went until they had a language. No, that's not it at all. No, God created mankind in his image with intellect. And being created in his image, he created us to communicate with each other and with him. He created us and gave us language. And this separates us from the beasts of the earth. Do beasts communicate to some level with each other? Yes, some beasts more so than others. But not because some beasts have evolved more, but because some beasts were created to communicate differently than others. But we, being created in the image of God, are given this gift of communication, this gift of language, that we might commune with God, that we might worship God, that we might speak to Him, and that we might hear Him speak, and that we might speak to each other of His glories. Now the whole earth had one language and one speech, And it came to pass as they journeyed from the east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar and they dwelt there. God commanded them to go and subdue the earth. They went, they found a plain, and they dwelt. They found a nice, suitable place 
and they stopped therein. And if the story stopped there, if the historic account stopped there, we might miss that this was an act of rebellion, but it goes on to elucidate the motives of their hearts. Then they said to one another, it didn't take long. They went, they stopped, and they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. And again, if the story stopped there, if the historic account stopped right then, you might think, well, that's nice. They're going, they're subduing the earth, they're building some nice habitations. They're like the wise pig, (laughs) built his home from bricks. So when the wolf comes huffing and puffing, it will not fall down. Not sticks, not straw, but bricks. The wise pig. Those are, these are good, good people. No, the story goes on to reveal the motives of their hearts for stopping, the motive of the heart for making bricks and baking them thoroughly. They had brick for stone, they had asphalt for mortar, and they had the intellect that God gave them and the ability to communicate with each other to work together toward a common goal. And what was the common goal supposed to be? What is the common goal supposed to be today? The glory of God in subduing the earth for His glory, for the honor of His name. That was then and is now the goal of everything, the glory of God. Come, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly, not for the glory of God. Let us stop and dwell here, not for the glory of God. Let us take these bricks of stone and asphalt for mortar, not for the glory of God. Because verse 4, and they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower whose top is in the heavens. Let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. Now we see the open defiance. And let me remind you that this city, state, that this tower, that this group of people gathered together as a city, state, as the architects of this great tower, now known as the Tower of Babel, was Nimrod. He is behind this. Nimrod, whose very name means rebel, is leading this rebellion against God. The first kingdom and the first city and the first great tower, skyscraper, were all acts of rebellion against God. Come, let us build ourselves a city. It's about self, not God. Not come, let us build a city for the glory of God from which we can send folks out to further subdue the earth in obedience to God. But no, rather, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower whose top is in the heavens. Let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be scattered abroad over the face of the earth. There are some who surmise that the tower with its top in the heavens was meant to be an act of direct defiance against God to make themselves as gods, to raise themselves up, like Lucifer himself said, as high as God. There are some who surmise that this great tower was also an act of defiance against God who had wiped out rebel mankind, wiped them out with a worldwide flood. And they knew that God was holy. And they knew that God was just. And they knew that judgment would come if they rebelled. And yet in their arrogance, in their pride, They thought we can build a great tower to overcome his judgment, to rise above his judgment should he again flood this earth, which would again show that they're blaspheming the word of God. If that is true, if that was part of their motivation, they are rejecting the promise of God and the rainbow set in the sky that he would never judge them in that way again. Come, let us build ourselves a city, a city of rebellion built by Nimrod, the rebel, a tower whose top is in the heavens, a tower of rebellion to make themselves like gods. Let us make a name for ourselves. It's for the honor of self. It's for the honor of Nimrod. 
and all mankind with him, not the honor and name of God. Lest we be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth, which is exactly what God commanded. And so it's a spoken defiance of God. They abused speech. They abused the gift of speech. They abused the gift of intellect. And they're using their intellect and their common speech to work together to defy God. That sound familiar? Yes, we're doing that today. So they're going to build themselves a city. They're going to build this great tower as top as in the heavens. There's a bit of artwork I encourage you to look up on your own time. Not now on your smartphone. It would not be smart now. But a bit of artwork produced in the 1500s of this tower. And let me tell you, the tower I had pictured in my mind was not as grand and glorious as the tower pictured with the mind of the artist in the 1500s. And to think that they were not capable of building a great tower, a truly magnificent tower, is to think too small of God who created us with fantastic intellect. We can do amazing things even without our modern technology. I encourage you later to look up that grand work of art, the Tower of Babel, produced in the 1500s. Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower whose top is in the heavens. Let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. And you remember back in chapter 10, Nimrod did have a name. He had made a name for himself. His name, as it was said, Nimrod, the mighty hunter. He made a name for himself. He was famous as Nimrod, the mighty hunter, which we rightly understand as Nimrod, the tyrant, Nimrod, the mighty warrior who's subduing man beneath himself. And so they build the city, they build their tower to the heavens to make a name for themselves and in direct defiance of God, lest we be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. Know this, saints, be reminded of this and learn this today through them. Again, learn it again today. Sin doesn't pay. Sin will not prosper. Defying God will not work out in the end. Usually in the short term, you'll be held accountable, but always in the long term, you will be held accountable. And the price is much higher than you want to pay. Know that God is omnipotent. He's omniscient and He's omnipresent. And the wage of sin is death always, always. In your heart, your soul, your mind, relationships, the wage of sin is death. Flee from sin. Flee from rebellion. Especially mad. The madness of conscious rebellion. Sometimes sin and rebellion happens, right? It happens quite naturally without even thinking about it. And it, it's still sin and rebellion, but premeditated sin like this is just pure madness. And these people know the true God. They know His judgment on mankind. They know the global flood. They know these realities for certain. And yet they still defy God. Now, be reminded that God has said He will not wipe out mankind again with a global flood. And this would have been an opportune time to do that if He was not gracious. The judgment of confusing their languages is a is a gracious judgment to hold their sin in check and to break up their rebellion. Verse 5, The Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the sons of men had built. He didn't have to come down. He's omnipresent. He didn't have to come down. He's omniscient. He did not have to come down, but at times He chooses to come down. And when it says He came down, it is very likely the Lord Jesus, the second person of the Trinity that came down, the angel of the Lord that came down, he who appears often in the Old Testament. He came down to see the city and the tower which the sons of men had built. And the Lord said, Indeed, the people are one, and they all have one language. And this is what they begin to do. So they're one in purpose, and their purpose is not to glorify God. And they all have one language. 
They're one in language. They're able to communicate with each other. And with the pooling of intellect and the pooling of purpose and the ability to communicate together, nothing they propose to do will be withheld from them. You know, as I think about generations of Jews before us and Christians before us, reading this and and thinking about there's nothing they propose to do that could be withheld from them. They, They can't imagine what mankind can do. 200 years ago, 300 years ago, 1,000 years ago, nothing they propose to do will be withheld from them. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. We have been given an amazing intellect. And when we pull that with one language and one motive, one purpose, we can do amazing things. The tragedy is we typically advance rapidly in technology during times of warfare to do amazing things to kill people, to do amazing things to wipe out whole cities in one fell swoop, or to try to stop people from killing us or wiping us out. And so sin tends to drive our technological advances, and even those that aren't driven by sin tend to quickly be co-opted for sinful ends. All that we're doing with Genetics today is corrupted with sin. Not that there is no portion thereof that is righteous and uncorrupted, but it is largely corrupted. And to what end? Out of self-love and self-glory, out of pride, out of defiance of God. We want to live forever. We want to defy death. We want to defy the wage of sin which is death, and we're willing to use other human beings for spare parts. We're willing to grow them in labs to that end. We're willing to, in order to conquer our enemies, make super soldiers and genetically enhance them. We're willing to take what God made and corrupt it for our own purposes. We have not changed Indeed, the people are one, and they all have one language, and this is what they begin to do. Now, nothing they propose to do will be withheld from them. The things we can do today, the things that a a private company is doing with rockets flying off into space and coming back and landing, I mean, that's amazing technology, mind-boggling. And it's the pooling of technology, the pooling of knowledge, computers, Now they become so common, you all have one in your pocket. You have a more powerful computer in your pocket than all of America's schools had when I was in grade school. It's astonishing. I remember when the internet was invented. That's astonishing, isn't it, to think back? I remember as a kid watching Star Trek, and those communicators were just amazing. How many of you made your own communicator? And played with your friends. Oh, yeah. And now we've got something so much better than those communicators that Scotty was always yelling into about more power and this and that. How far we've come. If we can imagine it for a television show or a movie, a decade or two later, we can build it. It's amazing. But to what end? If it's not for the glory of God, it is sin. If it's not for the glory of God, we'll use it for evil as a rule. And how tragic that is. The Lord said, indeed, the people are one. They all have one language. And this is what they begin to do. Now, nothing that they propose to do will be withheld from them. Come, let us go down there. Let us go down there. Genesis eleven seven. Does it remind you of Genesis one twenty six? It ought to. Let us make man in our image. Male and female, he created them. Let us go down there. Us. The divine us. (laughs) The Trinity. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Let us go down there. The Trinity didn't begin in Matthew 28, 18. The Trinity had no beginning. It has no end. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Come, let us go down and there confuse their language that they may not understand one another's speech. We've got to stop this wicked collusion. 
to co-opt a word. We've got to stop this unity for evil, this unity in rebellion. And so let us go down there and confuse their language that they may not understand one another's speech. And here we have the origin of languages, plural. So the Lord scattered them abroad from there over the face of all the earth, and they ceased building the city. Now, we don't know, was it simply the lack of ability to communicate with each other that scattered them abroad, or did God confuse their languages and then cause some other calamity or some other motive to scatter? We don't know for certain. It would seem likely that just simply confusing the languages would scatter them, because now we've got this group that speaks this language, distinct, radically distinct languages, and sin nature now, now that we have these differences, and a language is a huge difference, and with the inability to communicate, sin nature tends to drive us apart. We can't tolerate each other. And so it is very likely simply the confusion of the languages that quickly broke up this unholy uprising rebellion against God. Again, believing God is not an option. Believing that different people groups, after they crawled out of the primordial goo and slowly worked their way up from fish to apes to upright uh, species on a good day, um, began to babble in different dialects and tongues until we have all the different people groups, all the different races, right? Believing in races is not biblical, is not Christian. We don't believe in races. We believe in mankind created in the image of God. Believing in uh, the evolution of language, uh, that's where language came from, grunts and squeaks and clicks and pops and, oh, looky there, a new language. Um, Not that languages do not change, mind you, over time. I recognize that. That that is a scientific reality. Uh, languages do change over time. Even in my lifetime, certain words have changed and gone uh, out of popular use and other words have come into popular use um, or changed in meaning. And so the Lord scattered them through the confusing of their languages. And then, through the hand of God moving, They were scattered over the face of all the earth. If we will not obey God willingly, we will in the end obey God. As he comes as a faithful father, as we we being Christians I'm talking to here, as he comes as a faithful father to chasten us, we will obey God. Now, some sins, sadly, some of us or all of us, will carry through life and be saved by the grace of God alone. And we will find, as it says in Revelation, that our Heavenly Father will wipe away our tears. And some tears in the context of Revelation are clearly tied to persecution and suffering for the name and cause of Christ. But some tears will be because we realize the life we wasted the opportunity we wasted to glorify our King, to glorify our God, to labor for souls, to labor for His glory. But He, as a faithful and gracious Father, will wipe away every tear. But by God's grace, let us labor that we would not have so many tears to be wiped away, that we would not be a rebellious people, that we would not be Nimrods, Right? That used to be a, a slur. Oh, don't be a Nimrod. It's a good slur, actually. It is. Don't be a rebel. It's a good one. Yeah. Hey, boy, don't be a Nimrod. Right? A, a rebel against God? Don't do that. Don't do that. Now, that's one of those words that's passe. It became a term, and people didn't even really know what it was anymore. And eventually it just passed away, but it has explicit biblical meaning. Don't be like Nimrod, a rebel against God. 
Verse 9, therefore its name is called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth. My guess is the original name was Nimrod's glory, right? That, that was probably the original name, um, but it got changed to Babel as the Lord drove them from that great tower. And without God, without God, all of our labor is for naught. Without God, all of our industry is for naught. Without God, all of our intellect is for naught. Without God, all of our cooperation and communication is for naught. It must be for the glory of God or it's meaningless. In the end, it will burn. In the end, it's nothing. We're not here to build the cities of men to the glory of man. We're here to build the eternal city of God for the glory of God. We're not here to build the kingdoms of men, but to build the kingdom of God in the earth that will be forever. From there, the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of the whole earth. They obeyed when God made them obey. Like a naughty child, right? Come here. Well, eventually he's going to come here. Uh, Eat your peas. Eventually he or she ought to eat the peas, mom, dad. Um, Whether it's tomorrow morning, (laughs) eventually the peas ought to get eaten. If we're faithful parents, well, God is the perfect faithful parent. That which he commands, ultimately, he compels us to do. Generally speaking, sometimes he lets us go. Pastor John MacArthur comments on this. Now, the first nine verses of this chapter are obviously brief, but it's packed. It's a stuffed text. Because in these nine verses, we're going to find that we have here the only true record of the origin of nations, the origin of languages, and nations and languages essentially came into existence by the single act of God. We are very much aware of the fact that the world in which we live believes in evolution. They believe in the evolution of the universe. They believe in the evolution of biological life. They believe in the evolution of man. They believe in the evolution of everything else. They believe in the evolution of intellect. They believe in the evolution of sociology. They believe in the evolution of la- uh, nations. They believe in the evolution of language. They believe in the evolution of everything. And the Bible teaches the evolution of nothing. The universe created by God and everything in it in a six-day period. Nations and languages essentially established by God by one divine act. Sociologists and anthropologists and language theorists imagine a slow, long evolutionary process socializing man and somehow evolving from grunts and chatter and chirps languages. We know better from the Word of God. We have followed the brief history of man from Adam and Eve The first man, the first woman to Noah and the flood. When God destroyed the entire population of the world except Noah, his wife, his three sons and their three wives, which meant that after the flood drowned the earth and completely changed its topography and its environment, from those eight people came the rest of human history, end quote. A historic word on Nimrod, again, his very name means rebel. His father named him that who we met back in chapter 10 and who built this tower of rebellion. He was the sixth son of Cush. Cush named him that. He was the founder of Babylon and Assyria. He is mentioned in 1 Chronicles 1, verse 10, Micah 5, verse 6, and Genesis 10, verses 8 through 9. The Hebrew text states that he was a mighty hunter before the Lord. This is indicative of his antagonism and opposition to God as a mighty warrior and ruler of men. He was wicked and made the whole earth rebel through the building of the Tower of Babel. We've got to be careful, dear saints. There's a lot of cooperation going on now. There's a lot of communication going on now. There's a lot of unity on a global and national scale that we cannot be part of. There's a lot of things going on that we cannot participate in. It's a modern Tower of Babel, scientifically and otherwise. There are things that we've got to look at and say, no, that's outside of the parameters of Scripture. Well, that could even perhaps benefit me, but no, I cannot partake of that. It's unholy. It's wicked. The Jewish historian Josephus lived in the first century A.D., 2,000 years ago, much nearer to the events that took place in Genesis. He says this, Now it was Nimrod who excited them to such an affront of contempt of God. He was the grandson of Ham, the son of Noah. He was a bold man and of great strength of hand. He persuaded them not to ascribe it to God as if it was through his means they were happy, but to believe that it was their own courage which procured that happiness. 
He also gradually changed the government into tyranny, seeing no other way of turning men from the fear of God, but to bring them into a constant dependence on his power. That's interesting that Josephus wrote that nearly 2,000 years ago about Nimrod and Nimrod's methods of gradually changing the government into tyranny, seeing no way of turning men from the fear of God, but to bring them into a constant dependence on his power. This is like the Communist Manifesto about 1,800 years before it was written because Satan's methods don't change. And Satan subdues man through fear, which compels us to self-love, which compels us to disobey and flee from righteousness for survival instead of pressing on and pressing in in service to our God, walking in truth, walking in light in a world that opposes God, opposes truth, opposes the light of his word. One commentator provides this insight. The Tower of Babel was, in essence, an attempt to have their own way apart from God. Humans were commanded to be fruitful and fill the earth. Instead, they attempted to settle down in one location and establish a world state to offset the divine rule. The Tower was meant to be a rebellious attempt to break from divine rule. They did not wish to obey God. In its organized form, false religion began with the Tower of Babel and Nimrod, from which Babylon derives its name. Cain was the first false worshiper, and many individuals after him followed his example. But organized pagan religion began with the descendants of Ham, one of Noah's three sons, who decided to erect a great monument that would reach into heaven and make themselves a great name. Under the leadership of the proud and apostate Nimrod, They plan to storm heaven and unify their power and prestige in a great worldwide system of worship. That was man's first counterfeit religion from which every other false religion in one way or another has sprung. God's judgment frustrated their primary purpose of making a grand demonstration of humanistic unity by confusing their language that they may not understand one another's speech and scattering them abroad from there over the whole face of the earth. Genesis 11, 7 and 8, the Lord halted the building of the tower, and fractured their solidarity. But those people took with them when they scattered the seeds of that false idolatrous religion, seeds that they and their descendants have been planting throughout the world ever since. The ideas and forms were altered, adapted, and sometimes made more sophisticated, but the basic system remained and remains unchanged. That is why Babel, or Babylon, is called, quote, the mother of harlots, and of the abominations of the earth, Revelation 17.5. She was the progenitor of all false religions. Matthew Henry says this of why Nimrod and his kingdom of rebels built their tower. Some think they intended hereby to secure themselves against the waters of another flood. God had told them indeed that he would not again drown the world, but they would trust to a tower of their own making rather than to a promise of God's making or an ark of his appointing. If, however, they had this in their eye, they would have chosen to build their tower upon a mountain rather than upon a plain. But three things, it seems, they aimed at in building this tower. Number one, it seems designed for an affront to God himself, for they would build a tower whose top might reach to heaven, which beseeks of a defiance of God, or at least a rivalship with him. They would be like the most high, or would come as near him as they could, not in holiness, but in height. They forgot their place, and scorning to creep on the earth, they resolved to climb to heaven, not by the door or ladder, but by some other way. Secondly, they hoped hereby to make themselves a name. They would do something to be talked of now, and to give posterity to know that there had been such men as they in the world. Rather than die, leave no memorandum behind them, they would leave this monument of their pride and ambition and folly. Note, affectionation of honor and a name among men commonly inspires with a strange ardor for great and difficult undertakings and often betrays to that which is evil and offensive to God. It is just with God to bury those names in the dust which are raised by sin. These Babel builders put themselves to a great deal of foolish expense to make themselves a name, but they could not gain even this point, for we do not find in any history the name of so much as one of these Babel builders, save Nimrod, of course. Philo, Judea says, 
They engraved every one of his name upon a brick in a memoriam as a perpetual memorial, yet neither did this serve their purpose. And perhaps they did, and, and there are some here today who have names on bricks downtown in the Pioneer Square, but not because they think they will be there forever, but because it was a romantic gesture. <laughs> They'll not be there forever. Oh, this city will not be here forever, and all of its towers will fall, and all the cities of men, and all of the, their towers will fall, and all the stars that we audaciously claim and name for our wives or children, um, they will all burn up as well. It will all come to an end when God lets the gluons of this cosmos loose and recreates the heavens and the earth in one instant. And so let us not strive to build a kingdom that's passing away or a tower that's passing away, but to build the kingdom that will never end and to leave a mark on eternity, the mark of eternal souls saved through the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Third point, they did it, they did it to prevent their dispersion. Lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the earth, It was done, says Josephus, in disobedience to that command, replenish the earth. God orders them to disperse. No, say they, we will not. We will live and die together. In order hereunto, they engage themselves and one another in this vast undertaking, that they might unite in one glorious empire. They resolved to build this city and tower to be the metropolis of their kingdom and the center of their unity. It is probable that the band of ambitious Nimrod was in all this. He could not content himself with the command of a particular colony, but aimed at a universal monarchy in order to which, under pretense of uniting for their common safety, for their common safety, he contrives to keep them in one body, that having them under his eye, he might not fail to have them under his power. See the daring presumption of these sinners. Matthew Henry. History repeats itself again and again, saints. Read history. Read the history of communism. I highly encourage you. Right now is a great time to read the history of communism, to read the history of Mao, the history of Pol Pot, Joseph Stalin. Joseph Stalin promised equity, promised blessings for all, as did Mao. What did the people get? Starvation, suffering, slaughter. The origin of the languages and the kingdoms of this world. Genesis 11, verses 1 through 9. Secondly, the origin of Israel. The origin of Israel, verses 10 down through 32. The origin of Israel. This is the genealogy of Shem, verse 10. Israel comes from Shem because Abraham comes from Shem. This is the genealogy of Shem. Shem was 100 years old and begot Arphaxed two two years after the flood. After he begot Arphaxed, Shem lived 500 years and begot sons and daughters. Arphaxed lived... 35 years and begot Selah. After he begot Selah, Arphaxed lived 403 years and begot sons and daughters. Selah lived 30 years and begot Eber. After he begot Eber, Selah lived 403 years and begot sons and daughters. Eber lived 34 years and begot Peleg. And after he begot Peleg, Eber lived 430 years and begot sons and daughters. Peleg lived 30 years and begot Ru. And after he begot Ru, Peleg lived 209 years and begot sons and daughters. Ru lived 32 years, begot Serug, and after he begot Serug, Ru lived 207 years and begot sons and daughters. Serug lived 30 years and begot Nahor, and after he begot Nahor, Serug lived 200 years and begot sons and daughters. Nahor lived 29 years and begot Terah, and after he begot Terah, Nahor lived 119 years and begot sons and daughters. Now Terah lived 70 years and begot Abram, Nahor, and Haran. This is the genealogy of Terah. Terah begot Abram, Nahor, and Haran. Haran begot Lot, and Haran died before his father, Terah, in his native land, in Ur of the Chaldeans. Then Abram and Nahor took wives. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, 
and the name of Nahor's wife, Milcah, the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah, and the father of Iscah. But Sarai was barren. She had no child. And Terah took his son Abram and his grandson Lot, and the son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, his son Abram's wife, and they went out with them from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to the land of Canaan. And they came to Haran and dwelt there. So the days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. The genealogy of Shem. I'll not read through it again. But there it is before us. This is the line of Shem. Shem, son of Noah. All the way back to Adam, as you read the other genealogies. Adam, Noah, Shem, Teor, or excuse me, Terah, and Abraham or Abram, who would become Abraham. So we find some interesting things here. One, we find the lifespan decreasing. Post-flood, the lifespan of man began to decrease. Again, this is not optional. We believe God. What God says we believe. I I don't want to say sick and tired, because I'm sick and tired of the term sick and tired. But the idea that we pick and choose what to believe from God's Word as if it was a buffet. Oh, I'll take a little of that. Eh, no, not so much. Never was into that. I'll have a little of that. Oh, I want some of that. Oh, yuck. Don't touch that. Oh, you don't want want any of that. This is not a buffet. In that sense. It is a buffet in the sense that God is sovereignly ordained as a perfect and holy Heavenly Father, that we would partake of every portion thereof, that we would believe it in its entirety, that we would embrace every jot and tittle, Genesis to Revelation, as the thus saith the Lord, word of God. None of it is optional for Christians. We believe not just John 3.16, but everything that came before it and everything that came after it. And mind you, in believing God, you are not checking your brain at the door. When you disbelieve God, you've checked your soul and your brain at the door. God's word is true. And all the true truth, true truth, what's that? That's the truth that comports with God's reality, the only reality there is. All the true truth is God's truth. There's a lot of things out there under the banner of truth today that aren't true at all. We are the people of science, true science. We are the people of history, true history. And this world that's rejected the one true God, the God of truth, Jesus, the way, the truth, the life, they are descending into madness further and further and further. Undeniable madness. Having rejected the God of truth, they're giving up all truth, any claim on truth, whether it's scientific or mathematic or historic or genetic or physiological, they're giving up all truth, descending further and further into the absurdity of sin. And so we believe God. We believe God about a worldwide flood. We believe God about Adam and Eve. We believe God about the Tower of Babel and the origin of languages, the origin of the nations. We believe God. And I just, I just want to challenge you. Think about it rightly. I don't have enough faith to not believe God. (laughs) I don't have enough faith to believe everything came from nothing. That is a cosmic leap of faith. Everything came from nothing. It defies all logic and all true science. Everything came from nothing. I don't have enough faith for that. To me, that's a fool's faith. I can't muster it. I can believe in a God who's eternal by nature, everlasting to everlasting by nature, omnipotent by nature, omniscient by nature, omnipresent by nature, who created everything. That's both logical and revealed in a historic document. And it comports with all true science. Thus, I easily believe that men lived well over a thousand years. And then after the flood, they began to live fewer and fewer years until we get down to Terah, who lived 70 years and begot Abram, Nahor, and Haran. 
This is the genealogy of Terah. Terah begot Abram, Nahor, and Haran. Haran begot Lot. And Haran died before his father, Terah, in his native land. And you're probably familiar in the next chapters, chapters to follow, Abram and Lot go together, following God, believing God. And Lot is his nephew. Lot's father died. Haran died before his father, Terah, in his native land in Ur of the Chaldeans. Then Abram and Nahor took wives. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai. And the name of Nahor's wife, Milcah, the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah, and the father of Iscah. But Sarai was barren. She had no child. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai. Then Terah took his son Abram and grandson Lot and the son of Haran and his daughter-in-law Sarai and his son Abram's wife. And they went out with them from Ur to the Chaldeans to go to the land of Canaan. And they came to Haran and dwelt there. So the days of Terah were 205 years and Terah died in Haran. Again, Matthew Henry comments on this genealogy of Shem, saying, We have here a genealogy, not of endless genealogy, for here it ends in Abram, the friend of God, and leads further to Christ, the promised seed, who was the son of Abram. From Abram, the genealogy of Christ is reckoned, Matthew 1.1. So that put chapter 5 and chapter 11 and Matthew 1 together. So chapter 5 of Genesis, chapter 11 of Genesis, and Matthew 1 together. And you have such an entire genealogy of Jesus Christ as cannot be produced for aught I know concerning any person in the world. The Mormons for all their genealogical studies. Your great Aunt Betty for all of her genealogical studies. Can't produce the genealogy of the Lord Jesus Christ that goes all the way back to Adam that the Word of God, the historical document of God's Word contains. Because Jesus is the second Adam. God Himself who created the first coming in the likeness of men, perfect and holy, the Lamb of God, to be slain for sinners. Laying these three genealogies together, we shall find that twice ten and thrice fourteen generations of descents passed between the first and second Adam, making it clear concerning Christ that he was not only the son of Abraham, but the son of man and the seed of woman. The son of man, the son of man, the son of man. Jesus called himself that more than anything else, because he is the son of Adam. That's what he was referring to. The son of man, the son of man, the son of man, the son of the man, the first man, the son of Adam. Do you remember the promise in the garden? The seed of the woman, the seed of the woman shall crush the serpent's head. Jesus, when he called himself the son of man, was claiming to be the son of Adam that is the seed of the woman, the virgin-born son who would crush the serpent's head. How little do we know of those that have gone before us in this world, even those that lived in the same places where we live, as we likewise know little of those that are our contemporaries in distant places. We have enough to do in the, in the mind and work of our own day and let God alone to require that which is past, Ecclesiastes 3.15. There was an observable gradual decrease in the years of their lives. Shem, he, Shem reached 600 years which yet fell short of the age of the patriarchs before the flood. The next three came short of 500. The next three did not reach to 300. And after them, we read not of any that attained to 200 except Terah. And not many ages after this. Moses reckoned 70 or 80 to be the utmost men ordinarily arrive at. When the earth began to be replenished, men's lives began to shorten so that the decrease is to be imputed to the wise disposal of providence Why do you think their lives began to be shortened? I think it's because if we live too long, we get too smart and we reproduce the Tower of Babel. Because when you get men that are a thousand years old, they've learned a lot. And they can learn a lot of languages. And they can decide that, hey, we ought to all learn one language and we ought to pool this knowledge so that we can do whatever comes to mind. And so it seems logical to me that part of God's Judgment there at the Tower of Babel in confusing the languages may also have been to be begin to diminish the length of life so that we do not have a repeat. And there is also the natural consequence, of course, of sin. The natural consequence of sin, which is death, death in our genetic code. And we're passing that death along. Flaws and errors in the genetic code that produce something like cancer and other maladies that take our lives, malfunctions that take our lives, that shorten our lives. 
And so what we find is genetic decay in the scriptures, and we find genetic decay in science, in mankind. We don't find evolution. We find de-evolution. We're not getting better. We're getting weaker. I very much suspect that the intellect of the average man born of Adam and Eve would far exceed that of today. The ability to use what God originally designed would far exceed that of today in that we are not evolving but devolving. The wage of sin is death. Whether it's in math class or or Sunday school, the ladies are on point. We men, we've been affected by the fall. We got hit in the head by the fall. Not that we're unintelligent. No, plenty of intelligent men. But praise God, both men and women, given intelligence by God for the glory of God, that we might love God, know God, and love our fellow man and honor him with that intellect. But we abuse intellect. And so God dispersed man, confused the languages, and it would seem even as part of the judgment began to reduce the lifespan so that we do not live too long and use long life and knowledge gained for evil. But there is a bit of conjecture in that idea, I admit. In Joshua 24, verses 1 through 5, we get a bit of insight that I think is helpful here. It says, Then Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem and called the elders of Israel for their heads, for their judges, and for their officers. And they presented themselves before God. And Joshua said to all the people, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Your fathers, including Terah, the father of Abraham and the father of Nahor, dwelt on the other side of the river in old times, and they served other gods. What? Yes. Yes, Terah, Abraham, Nahor, they all come from the descendants of Shem, yes, but they're corrupted with false religion. They serve other gods. God did not choose them because they were choosing Him. God chose them for his own glory and made Abram Abraham. God revealed himself unto him, made him a servant of God, and made a nation from his seed from which Jesus would come. God's sovereign grace came upon Terah, Abram, and Nahor when he revealed himself to them. They were not seeking him, but he sought them. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, your fathers, including Terah, the father of Abraham and the father of Nahor, dwelt on the other side of the river in old times, and they served other gods. Then I took your father Abraham from the other side of the river and led him through all the land of Canaan and multiplied his descendants and gave him Isaac. And to Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau. And to Esau I gave the mountains of Seir to possess. But Jacob and his children went down to Egypt. And also I sent Moses and Aaron and I plagued Egypt according to all what I did among them. Afterwards I brought you out. So God gave birth to this nation starting with pagans, worshippers of false gods, brought them to himself, made Abram, Abraham, a worshiper of the one true God, from Abraham, Isaac, from Isaac, Jacob, Jacob, who became Israel, the 12 tribes from Jacob, who in the womb of Egypt, if you will, the mightiest nation on the planet at the time, protected from all the other nations, albeit by being their slaves, but for 300 years they dwelt in a nation, becoming a nation, a slave nation, And then God sent Moses to set his people free. To lead them, where? Back to Canaan, where he first brought Abram and made him Abraham. And where Jesus Christ, King of kings and Lord of lords, would be born, would walk the earth with righteous feet, and would be pierced in hands, feet, and side for our sins. Pronounced to tell us die, bow his head, give up his spirit, be buried and resurrected the third day. A sin to sit at the right hand of the Father as the only mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, until he descends to set his holy, perpetually pierced feet, looking as a lamb who was slain down in Israel where he will rule and reign over his nation and all humanity. And that's the day we look forward to. That's the kingdom we're working toward. That's what we pray when we pray, Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth 
as it is in heaven. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the glory of yourself revealed in your word. We thank you, Lord, for how you work amongst men for amazing grace and profound mercy to save sinners like Tara, like Abram, like ourselves, to build your kingdom from every tribe, tongue, and nation that will never pass away. We thank you, Lord, and we praise you. And pray, Father, that we might be messengers of our King, calling the citizens of the King into the kingdom through repentance and confession of Jesus Christ as Lord. We pray it in his mighty name. Amen.